Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island Dicks, and this episode of Desert Island Dicks features Sarah Gosling. She's a presenter on Radio X, she writes for The Guardian and Clash magazine, and much, much more besides. But in this instance, she's talking to me about the people and things you would hate to be stuck with on a desert island. And um, we recorded this a little while ago, actually. And so I can't remember very specific details, if I'm completely honest, but I do remember having a very lovely time. So I hope that you will also have a very lovely time. That's kind of the point of this, isn't it? It's all just a bit of fun at the end of the day. So let's enjoy it now, shall we? I'll be back at the end with some more chit chat. Uh, but now... Here's Sarah Gosling on Desert Island Dicks. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is radio presenter and writer Sarah Gosling. How are you? Hello, I'm doing very well. I'm like nestled into a crap-filled corner, to be honest, of my cabin because I'm in the process of moving house. So <laughs> I'm very distinctly turning the camera so that you can't see the detritus <laughs> that is my life as I say that other people are worse than me. That's <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, the listeners have no idea, so we can use the power of suggestion to just pretend that you I live in a palatial landscape and everything is clean and magnificent. It's incredible that you keep that chandelier so clean. I always <sighs> find them so difficult to look after. So. Do you know what helps is the specially designed series of stepladders I keep both for architectural reasons and to reach the lofty heights of my vaulted <laughs> ceilings so uh no obviously not <laughs> i thought you say you know what helps the help <laughs> <laughs> i considered them went no that just makes me a dick <laughs> <laughs> well we're gonna get on to dicks obviously oh. that is that is our reason for being so i mean how, how do you find the process of choosing your dicks are you normally an upbeat person or how, um, how... It's a good question. Soon as I realised I was doing this, I was like, oh my God, right, I can let rip. This is very, very exciting. Then I realised that I think because I attempt to appear optimistic and delighted by everything, when in fact the inside of me is a seething, constantly raging sea of disappointment, apathy, general rage, um, <laughs> that I couldn't own it down for ages. So it honestly took me so long to kind of come up with this. At one point, I had 45 names on a list. Wow. I had to be like, okay, I'm going to categorise. I'm going to go based on the types of things I hate and then whittle from then. So I keep changing my mind. We're going to stick with these. Yeah. I think it's a snapshot of where you are right now and, yeah. you know, that can change. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Don't worry. There's there's no wrong answers, really. So, uh, you know, we can just get into it and uh, we'll see where we go. So, uh, yeah. Sounds Who's good. going to be the first dick joining you on the island? The first one is going to be Howard Stern. Okay. Mm. All right. So, obviously, a fellow radio presenter. <laughs> <you know. laughs> That's how I describe him. A colleague, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> he's, you know, the shock jock, as he likes to be known. And I'm... I'm a bit of a, a fraud in radio, to be honest, because I didn't. I'm like not one of those people who did student radio or worked up in any kind of legit normal way. I was writing, and then I had sort of fell into it, and so I didn't know about a lot of like really legendary radio presenters for a really long time. And then when I started interviewing guests, I was like going through kind of the biggest interviewers and like looking at their techniques and everything. And then I found Howard Stern, and he's just 
vile. He's just a vile, vile man. He's just, like, I know he's called a shock jock, but I was going through some stuff about him. And David Letterman, who, by all accounts and by everything I've seen, incredibly kind, funny interviewer. He's empathetic. He's everything you want in that role. Howard Stern, the exact opposite. Shockingly, they fell out. And Letterman said this about him. He said he'd say hurtful things, and the more hurtful things he'd say, the bigger his audience would become. Mm. And I was like, that is exactly what's wrong with the world. He is like the conduit for everyone just being awful. And I'm aware I'm literally ranting about people right now, but he not only rants, is absolutely vile about like women and just swears all the time for no discernible reason because he's got nothing useful to say, but he's just bad at his job. And like, I know loads of people love him, but I was considering doing like Joe Rogan or any of these like agro podcasters, Mm. but he is the king of all of them. He calls himself, what was it? There was another line that I couldn't, he calls himself the king of all media. <laughs> like, he's just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my experience of him is pretty, I, I remember years ago seeing that film about him and I'd never seen, is it called Private Parts? Yeah, I've heard of it. It was a sort of like a, uh, like a, I suppose like a bio sort of comedy about him. Mm. And I'd never really heard about him before, but it's one of those, oh, right, this is on the cinema. Okay, this looks amusing. Yeah. And so I don't think I've ever actually sort of heard or witnessed or consumed any of his actual stuff other than that film and having a vague idea about him. But Mm. I think it's fine when people are funny and say shocking things that are funny, but when it is just shock for the sake of it, yeah. and then that's led to such an outpouring of of people just like, hey, if you can't handle it, fuck you sort of thing. And I, I just think, you know, obviously freedom of speech and everything, but also just don't be a dick. And right? I just don't think there's much point these days when there's so many other things you can talk about. Like there is so much you can talk about. There are so many ways to talk about it. There is just like a, a way of being kind of decent and compassionate. Like one, if right. Key intro level to Howard Stern being a dick here, Dan, is watch his interview with Harry Styles and his band. Mm. Like, this is the most recent example of how terrible... It's like an hour-long interview. Harry's amazing band, we're all there, loads of women in the band, and he sat on his stool trying to be really nice, and Howard Stern is there like, yeah, so your stepdad died last month. That's shit. And was, like, doing all of this and being like, bet you girls have shagged Harry, and it's all just... Vile, like the implications that all the girls have got the role in the band because they've done him. They're, they're like constantly trying to pry into all of these just icky bits of his life and the absolute lack of compassion. And it's it's just in the same way as like Piers Morgan, who was another one who was on the list, and all of these people do. It's just dredging and clawing at people and trying to make something ooze out that they can monetize. And I'm just like... You're disgusting, and I don't think I could, like, imagine being stuck on an island with him. He would just be, like, so narcissistic, wouldn't listen at all, would just do whatever the hell he wanted to do, and would make you feel shit about it while you did it. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about the island scenario, and I think it's just that someone who just gets a kick out of pressing your buttons for no real reason, you know. I think if you end up in an argument with someone and you have an argument, that's fine. But if nothing has happened and they just enjoy just winding you up for the sake of it, then just fuck off. Exactly. And they can't. You're stuck. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, it's perfectly possible to get good stuff out of interviewing people by being nice and having them trust you rather than actually kind of sort of like getting them so angry they snap and then you've got your clip or something. I just think it's a bit reductive. And yeah, you know, maybe when he started, it was a bit more of a novel thing, you know, and he was doing something a bit differently. But I mean, I guess he's had a 
what I mean, like at least 20, 30 year old career. So it's, it just sort of seems worse the older you get, doesn't it? It's like, come on, like what, what is that? What is shocking anymore anyway, yeah. you know, when the world is the state it is? Yeah. <laughs> like what's fascinating is, because I was doing some reading about him. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in life is pick a name out the hat and just write controversy after it. It really opens up a minefield. Um, but interestingly, he's been in therapy for a while now and has been like trying to apologize to people behind the scenes which is mm. great, and I respect him for doing that. But then he's still an asswipe as soon as he's <laughs> broadcasting. So he's like quietly being a nice person, but then still perpetuating this version of success to millions and millions of people, which is going to inspire them just to be dicks as well. He's making an army of dicks by being a dick. Yeah, And yeah. that just makes me mad. Like, be Graham Norton, you know? <laughs> just be Graham Norton. <laughs> yeah, I just think there's no place for it anymore. And I think it's kind of boring and it's not even that shocking. It's just sort of no. low-level annoying along the same lines as, like, a little brother winding you up repeatedly. Yeah. It's like the little brother who, like, is 50 and still lives with your parents and still smokes weed in the basement every day. Like, that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's like, you know, people like Clarkson, it's like, you know, what your shtick of just sort of being outspoken was interesting, but now you just seem a bit sad. And I don't know how many... The uh, thing is, there are obviously people who still laugh along with it, but I think, fortunately, they're getting fewer and fewer and more people going, yeah, all right, enough now. Just, you're just... And, and, and also, you know, the only way you can keep it up is by getting more and more extreme and just more... It's just so boring. I completely agree. Clarkson was also on the list. Have you watched Clarkson's Farm? No, I haven't. Because, mm. I mean, I'm I'm just at the point where, despite doing this podcast and very happily slagging people off <laughs> quite often, uh, in the rest of my life, I try and be fairly positive. And because I have the sort of brain that can just absolutely just latch on something and be so angry having an argument with them in my head, I try and just sort of shield myself from <laughs> So it's like, you know, I used to I used to watch Top Gear and stuff and like, and yeah, but now I just know anything with him will just annoy me so quickly. I'm like, not having that. See, this is what I thought, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, but Clarkson's Farm is a very virtuous life-affirming show. Really? It's him basically acknowledging that he needs to look after the environment and be nice to people and making friends and doing good things and worrying about people. Hmm. And it's like, what? And then what was so funny is the normal Clarksonites, from what I saw anyway, just pretended that wasn't him and that was a media shtick. And it's like, maybe it was, but I love that you're not okay with the nice side. Yeah. But you love him being a dick and saying that Kira Knightley looks like an ironing board with a face is the one I remember. That was a nice moment. <laughs> yeah. I just, I recently read an article. It was like, because I've always, this is such a, it's like, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Like, I've always been interested in cars and mm. I find it such a boring, dull thing. I'm always embarrassed. That's to a really it. niche field. I hear a lot, a lot of people are into cars. So, congrats <laughs> on that. <laughs> but it's quite a boring thing and like, increasingly irrelevant and stupid, right? But uh, <laughs> there was like a, a sup Sunday supplement lying around and I picked it up and I was like, oh, right, there's a Clarkson thing about this car. And I wanted to read about the car, but I knew it was Clarkson. I thought, well, how how rude can he be in like 500 words about a fucking car? Oh. And even within that, he managed to be incredibly offensive. And I was like, how did you like, just talk about the car. How have you like managed to be so offensive in this? And it's like, yeah. oh, fuck off. But look, I mean, if, if he isn't one of your choices you'll be relieved to hear he and also Piers Morgan have been covered extensively another thing I this. thought so so it's okay but look Howard Stern I think is a great first choice so who's going to be joining them <laughs> Liam Payne <laughs> okay so <laughs> Liam Payne off one direction off one direction off very little fame and just 
what the fuckery post One Direction. Um, he, like, I remember watching his first audition back when I used to, you know, watch X Factor having tea with my parents at home. And he, even then, I remember him seeming really arrogant and weird and just quite cocky and vacuous. He was like the older one, so he was like, yeah, I deserve this, I deserve the fame. And it just felt a bit weird. And, like, don't get me wrong, I wasn't a directioner, um, but I know a lot of people who, you know, absolutely live for that stuff and die by the sword of it um, and camped outside their houses, which is deeply disconcerting. Um, but not I don't know anyone who likes him as the favourite when he was in that group, and I think that says a lot because mm. even, like, the one whose name I can't remember, whose dolls ended up in the bargain basement bins. <laughs> Even he had like people who loved him. And then since then, he has just become this like horrible, superficial, vacuous weirdo who like doesn't seem to know at all who he is. And I feel sorry for him for that because it, it it's obviously part of like the media circus of it. And, and yes, he started out in this really young. But now he's just trying to like throw his mates under the bus for it and thinks he's making art and is like a genius while making some of the most diabolical tripe I've ever heard. <laughs> like I so nearly picked his song, Strip That Down, featuring Quavo as the worst song in the world. Because have you heard it, Dan? No, I haven't. I mean, I might have oh. by accident. I was saying to you before we started recording, there's a lot of songs I don't know the names of. And when I hear them, I go, oh, that one, okay. But um... Can I read you some of the lyrics? Yeah, please. So we begin. Honcho, Quavo, yo, yo, because, of course, Liam Payne, notoriously, makes sense for him to be saying that. He's like, um, mm. <laughs> just, I can't even deal with it. You know, I used to be in 1D, now I'm out free. People want me for one thing. That's not me. I'm not changing the way that I used to be. I want to have fun and get rowdy. One Coke and Bacardi, sipping lightly. When I walk inside the party, girls on me. F1 type Ferrari, six gear speed. Girl, I love it when your body grinds on me. That's the chorus. Wow, that's oh, there's so much to unpack there. I know you like cars, but like, would you be being like F1 type Ferrari? But I do love it when your body grinds on me. Like, well, I mean, from from the boring car standpoint, it's more likely to have more than six gears these days with the uh, <laughs> modern gearboxes. So that's like that's the first. Actually, if I'm to get into it, if I, you were to look at the modern mechanics, uh... I hate to uh, disagree with Liam Payne there, but the glaringly obvious. Hasn't taken into account the modern dual clutch gearbox there. So may I recommend Jeremy Clarkson's <laughs> recent article on this? I see. This is what I hate. I hate it about myself. It's, it's so embarrassing. You've opened the can of worms out. You've opened the petrol canister. I know it's awful. It's all, I just hate the world of it. But yeah, I, it's just yeah. Anyway, but uh, says so that also like. Saying about sipping Bacardi, like it's not sipping Bacardi. It's like, is that a brand sponsorship? Do you know, like it's, it's like a tick box event. It's not a luxurious item, though. It's not like at <laughs> least if you're saying like Dom Perignon or something. Yeah, even Grey Goose, it you know, yeah, Bacardi. It's just fairly bad rum. But this is what makes me sad as well. Is I think that that is for his target audience. Like, he's definitely going to get to this point where he's doing, like, creepy meet and greets in clubs that girls are paying for. And he's just going to be that that old guy who's really weird and has sold out all of his mates and is making these terrible songs, which, can I just please tell you, there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 songwriters on this. What? That's That's insane. One of whom is Ed Sheeran. Fucking hell. <laughs> 
God, that must be expensive. Christ. Yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, what about Bacardi? That rhymes with stuff. <laughs> All right, guys. So think about who we're going for, right? Target audience of this is basically lads in cars and girls who are too drunk to listen to the lyrics. Right, so we're going to talk about Bacardi. Don't go buy a Bacardi. We're going to talk about Ferraris. Boys will want to buy a Ferrari. It's like, it's just so twattish. And like, it makes me want to punch the radio every time it's on. Mm. That sounds horrendous. I mean, Ugh. does he, because it sort of sounds like it could be wrapped. Is he sort of wrapping it? He's or like... trying to wrap. Right. Everything about this, Dan, is like the most pain, the most painful incarnation of a song co-written by Liam Payne, Ed Sheeran and 13 others featuring Quavo. Mm. It's that magnified by 10. And then you see him and he's doing like these weird accent shifts. And then he's like, calling his child bear and thinking he's some like big man ting and doing all of this. And I'm just like, I hate you. <laughs> You're everything I hate in a person. Yeah. I mean, I think if you've been in a boy band, you need to have a bit of humility that it could all come crashing down. And also that, you know, like I think in the past you get people like who were incredible singers, but they would call themselves singers rather than artists, yes. you know, like even someone like Aretha Franklin would sing other people's songs and they would mm. be open about that and it was fine because she's fucking Aretha Franklin, <laughs> you know. You let like, her have it, right? Yeah, I mean, like, do anything you want with that voice. I don't care who wrote it. Like, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. But, like, if you're Liam Payne, it's like, okay, well, you you needed 14 other people to help you write this. <laughs> and it's still depths of hell abysmal yeah i mean at least don't take yourself seriously just be happy cruising along with what you've got being a multi-millionaire yeah but let's not take yourself too seriously that's why because is... even ed sheeran it's like you, you know you feel there's a bit more of an artist in there and i can't yeah. stand the guy <laughs> but <not>. like <laughs> but i mean yeah like liam you're one of a defunct band so you need to sort of wind your neck in a bit especially when sorry but when you've got harry styles in the mix in this conversation, I've made it sound like I'm like Harry Styles' number one fan. I've brought him up quite a lot. But, like, he is legitimately good now and he's crushing it. So, again, I don't know his music, but I've weirdly become a fan of his recently by just the way he looks. I think he looks incredible and I love yeah. his style. And and I'm a 40-year-old man and I, it, it doesn't really... It's <laughs> You're into the jumpsuits, yeah? I just I just think he looks great and he's got a whole collaboration with Gucci I think is amazing yeah. and and it it sits quite awkwardly with me and in, in my persona I've got I'm not <laughs> I'm not quite sure how this has happened. Have you got a weird little shrine somewhere where you're like good night Harry. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> no, but I have I have like looked up his range on the Gucci website not that I can afford it. I was gonna say someone's doing well. <laughs> well no, I'm not looking. I often buy fake Gucci stuff from a Chinese website so sometimes I kind of have a look on there and then I see what I can find in China. Yeah, actual but, gucky. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's a weird thing for me then, sort of going, ah, oh, Team Harry, and I'm like, what does this even mean? I don't know. Who, <laughs> like, I don't know who you are. I, don't I know, know I like his jumpers. <laughs> I could, yeah, I couldn't tell you what his songs sound like, but um, but it seems like he's doing it about about the best you could do from coming from a clearly manufactured pop band on a TV show. Yeah. Like, if you've come out like that, then you're doing very, very well. And for the rest of them, it's like, for anyone else who's in that position, it's like, just be really happy that you were so lucky and then phase yourself out or yeah. carry on. Just don't be... Humility. Humility, I think. Is humility is a crucial word. And I think that's probably kind of the running theme through all of my people, which I'm aware there's a massive irony about me thinking my opinion is worth anything on this kind of thing about it. But, like, I... So, like... Like someone like Harry Styles, where he's like, okay, I'm actually going to mine this, see if I'm any good at it, work with some really cool people who I respect and try this as opposed to just like 
Like, obviously, there's a money-making side to it. But with someone like Liam Payne, you can just feel that it is just about money and power. Mm. And I just think that's so ick. Like, I have a genuine pencil case over there. I was like, can I get it? Is that too much of a faff? It's too much of a faff. Where it just says on it, stop making stupid people famous. Mm. And I think that's my life mantra. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Liam Payne is the epitome of that to me. Well, I think you've argued your point beautifully. It Thank goes you. without saying he'll be a pain in the arse on the <laughs> island. Or win bear pain is what you'll yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I mean, God, having to listen to Howard Stern laying into him as well. So, yeah, it's awful. All right. Well, who's going to be the, the final piece in this triangular puzzle of dicks? So, honestly, I'm still kind of half torn. I've whittled it down. And I was going between Jeremy Kyle or Gary Barlow, but mm-hmm. I'm thinking you've had Jeremy Kyle probably a fair bit. If not, he's a bit more obvious. So I'm going to go with Gaza. Okay. I'm going to go with Gaza of Barlow Shire. Well, we, do you know what? We've had both of them, so I, I'm, ah. I'm happy to hear your workings out and we can we can pick if you want. Okay. Well, Jeremy Kyle, I feel like he kind of overlaps, to be honest, a bit too much with what I have ranted about vigorously on the Howard Stern and Liam Payne front. Mm. in that he is just stoker of fires, grabber of sorrows, monetizer of the like the hurting, and it's just horrible and vile, and I hate mm. it. Gary Barlow, though, wolf in sheep's freaking clothing, that man. <laughs> mm. His songs are horrible. Yep. They genuinely like, make me feel viscerally nauseous. Like, I get really angry any time a Gary Barlow song comes mm. on. Like, we have the radio on in the office, because it's a radio office, and genuinely... If I take that or Gary Barlow song comes on, I will like either shout and ask everyone to change the station, like a complete idiot, or I will leave the room. <laughs> they just make me viscerally angry because I don't believe a word of it. And in a way, like, so, yes, like Liam Payne, obviously terrible songwriter. That is bollocks, but he's not trying to pretend he's, you know, mining the depths of the human soul for this and, and connecting on an emotional level. I just don't believe that Gary Barlow gives a shit about it. Like, I think he's very good. In the same way as Ed Sheeran has cracked the formula, dude's cracked the formula. Like, respect that. He knows that there is always going to be an audience for essentially simpering love songs Mm. that tell you you're great and the one is out there waiting for you. But he's then, like, monetized it to this insane degree, made himself seem like this glorious, happy, loved-up puppy of a human being who's all for charity... And is like doing all this amazing stuff while evading taxes and kissing any boots available to try and get the knighthood he's so clearly desperately gagging for. It's like, you're just it. Like, I would not be surprised if he is such a dick in person. Yeah. What annoys me about Gary Barlow is the way that as he sort of got older, he's sort of, he's become this sort of, people see him as this like older statesman of songwriting or something. It's like, you're not in the mold of any of these people. You know, I know that, you know, like from Wham, you got George Michael and he was respectable and that's fine. You know, like these things happen. You can start off like Twee and Poppy and become great. But yeah, I just hate this sort of thing of like, oh, let's listen to Gary Barlow earnestly talking about the songwriting process. Like, don't worry right? about your process. Like, I don't care about the workings of this because every single one of your songs has essentially sounded the same for a start. Your best songs were written by the Bee Gees. <laughs> Down, Barlow. Yeah. We're done I, with I, you. I like the Bee Gees. <laughs> Think Bee Gees, 
fine. Ain't going anywhere near the island. Yeah. They're having a lovely but, time. But in they're your best songs. They're not yours. Exactly. <laughs> and then he's there. I don't know, like being wheeled out with. I mean, I don't like him, but Andrew Lloyd Webber. You know, someone who has had this huge diverse career in musicals and everything. Or as you say, like, like what was it? My sister was at the Royal Variety Show, uh, and I was like, "Who is that?" She went, "Guess." So I was like, "All right, jazz clear." And she was like, "Yes." Eddie Golding, yes. That guy who does the choirs, yeah. I was like, Gary Barlow, obviously, because he's always at these things. If there is a royal present, he'll be there going, did you know I write love songs? I can write one for you. Because he just knock them out in two minutes. Yeah. It's like he's making a pre-mixed cake and then being like, ha ha, I've reinvented the wheel. It's like, you haven't, Gary. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with it at all. I just, I just think he doesn't seem that nice. And I, like, and it's so fucking earnest. Like, I, I think <laughs> he really, really just believes he is, like, one of Britain's greatest songwriters. Mm-hmm. And this is what's so gross is that, like, all of these people fully believe it. Like, my imposter syndrome is crippling in literally any situation. Like, I clock out where the biggest loo is in basically any building I go in just in case I need a panic attack slash to, like, chow down a glass of wine just to make myself feel better. But these people, as far as I can tell, unless they've just hidden it very, very, very well in literally every aspect of their public persona, don't have any of that element. They're just like, no, I am incredible at what I do. Despite a lot of evidence showing to the contrary. Yeah. Like Gary Barlow, not even the biggest member would take that. What? How has he become this like elder statesman? And people are like, yeah, but Robbie's just bad, isn't he? He's like, no, Robbie is actually a really shitting good songwriter. I didn't realise I cared this much, Dan, but I'm getting <laughs> shrill. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know. I just think even if you're someone who writes terrible music, at least if you're funny, you know, like we've all seen James Blunt on Twitter and like yes, people like that. Like, at least if you've got personality, then you think, all right, fair enough. It's not for me. Like I think Will Young's music's terrible, but he seems like a really nice person. So you think, all right, well, that's just what you're into. Fair enough. Yeah. With Barlow, like it doesn't, it's like you're really sincere, saccharine crap music. And then, Personality-wise, seem like you're probably a bit mean. Yes, he's either a bit mean or like like. Have you watched Parks and Rec? I haven't. I'm just, I'm very right. badly watched at the minute. Which is all good. I will I will set the scene briefly. Basically, they're okay. on a, a campaign trail for a senator at one point, and he's you know very clean cut, quite you know generically attractive, very kind, shakes your hands, gets the job done to the nice basic way, much of a Gary Barlow. Then he goes into this office and he just sort of sits there. And April, the assistant, is like, I think he's genuinely a robot. I'm like, what? He's just watching TV. It's like, and they walk in and there is nothing on the opposite wall. He's just staring at the wall, (laughs) completely po-faced for 20 minutes. And then just repeatedly says, it's a hot one out there. And that's Gary Barlow. Mm. That is him. Sitting, having dinner with that man. No. 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 It's just too easy to imagine him getting really angry at a gardener, isn't it? Yeah, and he'd go really like gammony. Mm. You could just imagine like the red rage going up his pasty pasty face. <laughs> yeah, I think you've made a very fine choice for this trio of dicks, and I think you're going to have a, a <laughs> tricky time yeah. on the island with them. So, so bravo! Thank you very much. It's a lot of small dick energy on that island. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Okay, food. 
I've gone for two because I very much put them in the same category and they're often mixed together and they make my life very difficult. Peas and sweet corn. Okay, right. Peas and sweet corn. They seem to me very innocuous vegetables. This is the thing. And everyone thinks they're innocuous. And they're fine. They're pervasive. They sneak into your food. They'll pop up in a samosa. They'll be in a curry. They're just going about their business. But if you really hate them, they are the vegetable equivalent of coriander. You don't really notice it unless you really, really hate it. Mm. I hate everything about them. And I always have. And they're... I don't know. I just find them like... Right, so... I can go through a list of reasons here. Taste-wise, cloying, saccharin, it's like a sweetener version of a vegetable, you know? Like how you'd have, I can't think of any sweetener brands right now, but where it all just tastes like a little bit off. You get like the diet version of something and it's like, mm, it's not right. That's what peas and sweet corn taste like. The texture of both, gritty, grim, powdery and a bit weird, like something quite bad has just exploded in your mouth. Then we move on to the exploding part. Anything that pops in your mouth makes... Like, honestly, <laughs> it's so grim. Like, it makes me want to gag. Um, although I say that, love popping a pomegranate seed in my mouth, so apparently I'm just a hypocrite. But they're just disgusting, and I've always hated them. And um, also, sweet corns, no nutritional value. You just shit them straight out. And um, my dad is convinced that I, ha- I have hated peas since I was two, and I got one stuck up my nose, and he had to suck it out with a biro. Oh, so... That's a good trick, though, actually. <laughs> right? Yeah, that is a good trick. Because, yeah, we well had to done. use very small tweezers when it happened to my son, very carefully. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I do, I can see that obviously for you, this would be a big problem. And also the idea of just. <laughs> for you. <laughs> having a big, a big bowl of peas and sweet corn oh, on an God. island to deal with. <laughs> just, I mean, that would be a frustrating way to eat for anyone. I, w- I would genuinely it. be sick. I would be so, so sick. I can't, like, they make me, I've been quite nausea-specific on this, but very nauseous, like, horrifyingly so. I, every now and then I try them again, just to see if, like, my tastes have changed. Like, happened with olives, you know, first time I tried olives when I was, like, 16. I genuinely did throw up in a sink. But next time, loved them, great. I don't think it's ever going to happen with peas and sweet corn. I think, I think I'm done, I'm tapped. Okay. I was going to say they're easily to avoid, but actually they are so small and get everywhere that it would be really annoying if you're not into them. So I could see how they would be a pain in the ass for you. So, And I think you've argued it beautifully. So, you know, I mean, this is Thank your you. island. I really wish it wasn't. I was like, if you take these away, what will I feed my children? But I realised you're just on an island with them. Yeah. You're not taking all of them with you. No. I should be used to this format by now, really. But um, You did construct well- it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what would your what would your drink choice be? How are you going to wash them down? Um, grimacingly with an Aperol spritz. Oh, yes. Good choice. Good choice. God, they're horrible. And they were all over Instagram and they're all very pretty and everyone's like, oh my God, get me an Aperol spritz. Like all of my friends will just do, you know, the boozy brunches and it's just relentless Aperols. And I went on holiday a few years back to um, Barcelona and we got Aperol spritzes in the sun. I was like, oh, this is decadent, beautiful. Look at it glowing orange in the sun. And then I tasted it and I spat it out in the street because it tastes like penicillin. I make myself sound disgusting. I'm not just spitting stuff out in the street and vomiting all the time, I swear. These rare occasions and they're stuck in my memory for a reason. But I had spent a stupid amount of money on that in there and I kept trying and I've not had a visceral response like that to a drink, I don't think 
ever. It's disgusting. It's like metallic and medicinal and cloying. And they look nice, don't they? They look nice. And same with Negronis. It's like they look so great, but you kind of go, oh, maybe I like it now. Oh, there's the there's the bitterness. Yeah. I've yeah. not tried a Negroni because I'm so scared it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, they promise a lot. They just look so nice and classy, but yeah, and they just... Oh, yeah, they annoy me. I, I have this theory. I've said it to people before. Anytime you see a table full of people drinking Aperol spritz, if you watch them leave the table, those glasses are always half full at the end, right? Yes. And people go, no, 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 it's just the melted ice. I'm like, if it was just melted ice, they wouldn't be as like luminously orange as they started with, right? Right. I am completely in agreement with you. Like, I was listening to kind of a film podcast thing the other day, and they were saying that like, one of the pet peeves is when people in movies don't properly drink the drinks and stuff that are on the table. They'll like lift a glass up and they'll start talking and put it back down. That's what Aperol spritzes are. Like it's it's you're watching people posing with a drink. I don't believe any of my friends that say they actually like them because that is the most objectively, I would say, unlikable tasting drink that I have ever come across. There is nothing nice within that bouquet of flavours that seems appealing. And I just think the marketing team for Aperol must be absolutely bloody buzzed with themselves because it's a it's a coup is what they've managed. Yeah, and, you know, the sort of places, you know, you go, oh, but you're in Italy in the, you know, in the, in the piazza and it was Have evening. a nice wine! Yeah, there's so <laughs> many nice wines. So there's no time where you're drinking Aperol that a nice glass of... Like cool white wine, yeah, or it wouldn't be nicer. Do you know what? We don't have to mix it up all the time. When you're going to somewhere where they're known for something delicious, or even if you just sat at a shit bar in like Croydon, mm. get a wine, not an Aperol spritz. There is never a time when you need that. Because actually, I say they look nice. They look nice because they look refreshing, but they actually look too sort of orange. They know? look like, like iron brew in yeah, a fancy glass. Yeah, it's too. You know, I just don't. Do trust you know what them. they taste a bit like iron brew? Is it is Aperol Iron Brew? I'm now, I'm now starting to question everything. Turns out it's like a Scottish cocktail. <laughs> that would just look like the board of tourism in Scotland just having an absolute field day. Like our economy has been boosted greatly since Instagram took on. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's it's yeah, it's a bullshit drink. <laughs> and, uh, it's such a bullshit drink. Thank yeah. you. Oh. Now, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Okay, least favourite film. I have gone for the first one that came into my head, because I've never checked my watch more during a movie. Uh, The Greatest Showman. Okay. Um, And my song is... Clean Bandit featuring Sean Paul. Shut up, Paul. Uh, Rockabye. <laughs> oh, they both make me so angry just saying them. <laughs> Which should we get into first? Uh, well, you can start at the very beginning. We can start at The Greatest Showman. Okay, Greatest want. Showman. So I haven't seen it because I knew from the outset that this wasn't the film for me. Congratulations. Hugh Jackman's got a circus. Is that the best of <laughs> Is that the thing? Did you design the posters? That's amazing. <laughs> um, basically, yeah, it's it's the whitewashed, Disneyfied version of a quite horrible series of events in which a man basically uh, used a lot of vulnerable people and made a lot of money off them. But no, in this, it's Hugh Jackman, a saviour of misfits alike. And it's, it's ugh. And I've never seen a film where I could tell you more specifically, much like you, 
this isn't for me. I'm not going to waste my time watching this. There are good films I could be watching. Why would I do it? But one of my friends at work that I used to work with, she kept coming in every day being like, watched The Greatest Shaman again last night, watched it again last night. By the time she convinced me (laughs) that I must be wrong because she'd seen it so many times, we agreed on a lot of other stuff. She had watched it five times in the cinema. In the cinema? Wow. Five times. She has paid for Hugh Jackman's New Yacht. That's the level we're at at this point, or at least his Aperol spritzes. And Wow. I went, and you know when you're with someone and they're really worried that you're not going to like the thing that they've taken you to, and they're just sort of looking at you and checking in. Like I do it all the time. I have never had to focus so hard on not looking angry. <laughs> And like trying to really subtly check my watch because the songs aren't good. It's it's saccharine and shit. It's like that sweetener thing again. There's nothing like properly great or wholesome about it. Like I don't like musicals anyway normally. Like I like like you know Chicago because that's amazing. But it's awful. Zendaya's great in it. I'll give her that. The acting's fine, but it's like it's trying to be a Baz Luhrmann film and failing desperately. And. I knew the entire way through that the whole plot was a lie, but because of the way it had been wrapped up, loads of people would believe it and be like, isn't this nice how these things happened? And it's like, are we not already at a point where history is not being discussed enough as is? And now we're like, isn't this cute that he's taking in people of all ethnicities and all backgrounds and giving them this amazing life? It's like, that's... It's not how it happens. There wasn't a fun moment towards the end of this circus's life where they all rose up and were like, you're our hero, which is what happens in the film. And it's just gross. Like, I really, I've never wanted to leave the cinema during a film more. <laughs> I had to force myself to sit. And we got out and she was like, it was so good, wasn't it? I went, I don't think it was for me, babe. And we're like, you're going to need me to stop talking about this now because I'm just going to make you very upset because see the rant I've just done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, very well put. Yeah. <sighs> I, also, I, I don't think that taking a load of people having a hard time making them work in a circus is really a good life. I think it's probably like no. quite, quite a difficult, lonely, <laughs> lonely time, you know, on the road for months on end, not really seeing people, no stability. Yeah. Just doing the same thing over and over again. But obviously in this case, Dan, it's it's they're a family of misfits. And is he a misfit as well, but except for being quite good looking and stuff? Except for being good looking, rich and talented. Yeah, he's he's really struggling. Um I, I had the the plight of the, the the wealthy white guy, particularly in what, eighteen hundreds Paris was really <laughs> difficult. Um I wonder if part of the thing was is it because it was like the first time people have seen Hugh Jackman sing? So that was part of the surprise. It's like. But it wasn't, was it? I don't know. I don't follow him that closely, but I don't. Well, this is the thing that's confusing. Hugh Jackman like produced it. I remember there was a whole thing about the bearded lady in it, and she's got an amazing voice. And he like coerced, coerced her, that's the wrong word, convinced. <laughs> he didn't coerce her. He convinced her to like join the troupe. So everyone was like, oh my God, it's like he actually is the greatest showman. He pulled together these people himself. And like, okay, that's quite cool. Was she actually bearded in real life? No. No, you don't really get points for that, Hugh. But exactly, <laughs> <laughs> fuck off, Hugh. No, it was that she was like, oh, I'm a bigger, not conventionally attractive woman. She'd been struggling to get cast and lots of things. Oh, and... I see, okay. So she was like, in all the interviews, it just felt really ick 
like her being wheeled out, being like, Hugh Jackman is my saviour. He gave me all of this. And him just sitting there like, come see the film. But also in the film, you did kind of go, she's a lady with a beard. Now that's something people will pay to come and see. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, like you wanted her in the circus, but you knew she had a selling point, which was that she was different. And people aren't going, God, it's so great. I could come to your circus and celebrate diversity. <laughs> Whether they were going, God, that woman's got a beard like a man. <laughs> They're not doing it to be like, well done, yes, yes, clean. It's like that, unexpected. All right, sure. He still wins. Yeah. Oh, it's just horrible. It just feels very. Again, there is a there is a theme through this. It's people grabbing stuff from other people and pitching it as something virtuous and worthwhile. Yeah, no, definitely. I can't believe your friend saw it five times in the cinema. Oh my god! There is not a single film I've ever seen that I would watch that often in that space of time. Like earlier this year, I saw Everything Everywhere All at Once. And I've I, still I, not seen that. Well, that was like the one film I can remember watching two days concurrently, you know, because we'd hired it, you know, you like rent it off Apple or whatever and you get it for two days. And then my wife watched it the second day and I ended up just watching it all again. Yeah. But that, you know, that's twice, but I'm not going to, like I haven't seen it now in like, what, nine months or something like, well, since it came out. That's fine. You know, I'll, I'll come back to it one day, but five times in Five times. That's extraordinary. It's, it's, it's obsessive. I don't know. I just, but it's saying about it being the last showman as well. I don't know. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, honestly, give it a go and please just like film your response to it because I feel like there is an entire group of people who have not watched this film and I would genuinely pay to watch their responses to it <laughs> <laughs> because it's just squinting in horror and discomfort. It's well, that's, that's your new podcast sort of. Uh, <laughs> what squinting know. in horror and discomfort? <laughs> well, just like you know, making people watch the watching uh, the last showman and, and talking about it. I think so. I think that might be a thing. I'll take it. Okay. Really unpleasant gogglebox. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on to your song choice then. And okay. um, so it's Rockabye with Sean Paul and. Yep. Um, Sorry, you actually said it wrong. It's shut up, all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can do it the justice that you do. Um, and the band is... Uh, Clean Bandit. Clean Bandit. Mm. You're looking at a 40-year-old man who's just distanced himself so greatly from popular culture. I don't even know... Because I do watch telly all the time, but I don't know what I'm watching because I've got no reference points of anything. Uh, and I work in the radio business. So I don't know what any songs are. I'm just Absolutely like a fucking... No like, I stayed in my own COVID bubble. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> and anymore. I never left, listener. But I know this song because this is like the soundtrack to being in a taxi trying not to be sick. And they're like, yeah. you know, just sort of coming home. Going, oh, God, it's this fucking thing again. Yeah, it's this fucking thing that makes me... I don't think any song has ever made me hate the world and hate human beings more. I genuinely <laughs> don't. I heard this and I... You know when things happen and they're so absurd nonsensical that you kind of think you might be having a stroke mm. like you're wondering if you're the only one hearing it and I remember like I think I was in like some shit club in in Torquay down where I'm from and I must have been probably like 19 when this came out I'll go with that when when did it come out 20 okay 2018 god now I was too old to be in one of those clubs um but it came on and all these like you know 18 year olds yeah I've been about 23 started dancing and groaning away to this song you know it's got the beat it's got Sean Paul it's Clean Bandit doing the bangers and then you listen to the lyrics and I'm going to have to read some of the lyrics again because mm. I don't know if you are aware of them oh my god I just I can't ugh. 
Call it love and devotion. Call it the mum's adoration foundation. A special bond of creation for all the single mums out there going through frustration. Clean bandit, shudder, Paul, and Marie, <laughs> sing, make them hear. She works the night by the water. She's going to stress so far away from her father's daughter. She just wants a life for her baby. All on her own, no one will come. She's got to save him. Daily struggle. She tells him, ooh, love, no one's ever going to hurt you, love. Keeps going. She's talking about all the way through not being able to, here we go, you got you find the school fee and the bus fare. More when perhaps it's a bit like in a wrong bar, can't find them nowhere. Just losing the guy who got you pregnant, not being able to afford to look after your baby. This like single mum struggle in poverty, set to a banging beat. Mm. So that I don't understand what the thought process was for this song because the lyrics is like they were actually trying to say something maybe meaningful, but in the worst way I've ever seen it done. Yeah. And then this insane, like, synth pop meets dance beat is with it. And then Sean Paul and Anne-Marie. And there's kids, like, grinding on each other and slut-dropping on the floor, necking Sambuca shots to a song about impoverished single mothers. It's... It's really (laughs) weird. It's really weird, yeah. I just love the bit, like, so... Because Sean Paul's got to do something when he's not doing... <laughs> so he keeps chipping in. But there's a the bit she's sort of going at the beginning going, you know, here's I'm going to set the scene. Everything's really bad. She's got a kid, but she loves him, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then Sean Paul just goes, daily struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's in brackets. He says, like, nobody matters like you. Stay up there. Stay up there. It's like, Sean, why are you here? And it's just like, stop interrupting, Sean. This is It's just really a <laughs> daily struggle. No, I get it. I get it. We get it. We get it. There's a bit here. Which just <laughs> It's the interjections. It's so good. She tells him, your life ain't going to be nothing like my life. Straight. Like, why Why are you there? Oh, yeah. Stop what it. What are you doing? Stop it. All of his interjections are just, yeah, yeah, rockabye. But that's just like, these bits here. Now she's got a six-year-old trying to keep him warm, trying to keep all the cold. When he looks her in the eyes, he don't know he's safe. When she says, she tells him, oh, love. No one's ever going to hurt you, love. Like, it's so mm. dark. Yeah, and the video, right? I watched the video of it, which oh. is kind of amazing in the wrong way, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Go on, talk to me, because I couldn't bring myself to watch it. So, like, it's set in, like, just, like, a very sort of old man pub. It's really grey-looking, and there are these grey-looking old men sitting around. Mm. And then there's a woman pole dancing who I guess is the woman that, you know, is the single mother, right, to emphasise how hard it is for her. With her daily struggle. With her daily struggle. So (laughs) she's got to do, like, lap dancing in this rough-looking pub, right? But, like, it's it's a weird pub because there's about four people in it. It's the middle of the day. Also, you don't often get lap dancers and pole dancers in an old man pub. No, and if they were, I think they'd go Friday night rather than... It's clearly the middle of the day because there's that grey light coming in. (laughs) that Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) But then there's a bit like it cuts to somewhere like Ibiza and the band are on the cliff top playing. But then she's, it's the same woman. She's pole dancing in the background. It's like, (laughs) well, like I think, and I think it even sort of mentions blah, 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 something about a better life. And then they're like, oh, now there's somewhere sunny and it's nice. Why is she still fucking pole dancing? dancing. I mean, if that's what she wants to do, you know, if that's what she, how she gets her money, I'm not going to diss her for that. And, you know, if that is how she it's finds... great exercise. It's fine, yeah. She must have a good core and that's fine. But, like, if the whole point is like, is it just that now she's pole dancing somewhere sunny? 
It was actually just vitamin D deficiency, the whole thing. It could just be like her walking along the beach with her kid if you wanted a nice thing, rather than still having a sexy person. Sitting playing by the pool. It's like, but you sort of like, well, we've paid for the dancer in the video. We still we still want someone sexy in it. You know, like it's about, that was like a Sean Paul request. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yes, she can now be, you know, have a, a nice, happy, functioning, easy life, but... Is she worth as much to me if she's not pole dancing? That's the question. <laughs> That's the question posed by Sean Paul. But there is a fantastic bit where they pan round this old man pub and there are all these grey looking old white men sitting there with their pints. And and they just start voicing Sean Paul's lyrics. No! It's incredible. Like, and it's, it cuts between, there's like three of them. And then it's a, and as they pan between them, they're all like mouthing his lyrics. Well, so I'm like, <laughs> is this is a, is this appropriation? I mean, he obviously signed off on this, so I guess he's all right with it. And then it pans around and Sean Paul's just there at the bar and it's like, well, Oh my God. Why did you get them to mouth it? Like, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've seen in ages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, right. Well, we've nailed that, I think. Well, rather, you've <laughs> nailed it. Um, let's move on now because finally the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it and why? Chihuahuas. Chihuahuas, good choice. Thank you. I hate them. What is it about them? I love dogs. Dogs are amazing. Dogs should be like wolves. The bigger the dog, the better. Dogs should just be like wolves, you know? And you can't get further away from a wolf or have a better example of how much humans have fucked up animals than the chihuahua. The wheezing, tiny, ratty, skinny, barely functioning chihuahua with its bulging eyes and its inability to do anything useful, including bark. Like, why people want them, I don't understand. And it's the sort of person that wants them as well, where I'm like, you probably, this this is a generalisation and I am going to sound like a dick and I'm going to put myself on the island for what I'm about to say, but you're probably the same sort of person who really likes Rockabye and Liam Payne <laughs> and probably the works of Gary Barlow. And when I see Chihuahuas trotting around in their tiny little jackets because they don't have enough proper fur to stay warm and they're always like, They've got like Diamante little crusts on them and like all oh, they're in a handbag and they just make me angry and the noise is mm. piercing and they just, they make me deeply sad and angry. And I would obviously never hurt an animal, but sometimes you see them and you do just sort of want to kick them a little bit, don't you? Yeah. No, they're weird things, aren't they? Like they're really, really small ones. Yeah. I know this is a bit of a generalisation, but you know, like they're, they're Mexican breed, yeah. which seems weird because Mexico, like you think of like, you know, it's like cool, tough guys and like, think like a dog from Mexico should be like this. Yeah. And I know that's an awful generalisation and, and I'm sorry, but it just seems weird like that that they come from there because what I don't know if they have a purpose like maybe they were for like catching <laughs> what catching. is your purpose but were they for catching my no but normally when you get a dog in a weird shape it's because man needed a dog to solve a problem so it's like well a dachshund is long and small so it can get into rabbit holes or something isn't it and like poodles have those silly pom-poms because it was like they were gun dogs and you yeah. couldn't have all the fur on them because they'd be too heavy in the water but you still have to keep bits of them warm like their joints and their organs and that's why they shave them like that yeah what's a chihuahua doing because it's like if you needed something to catch is it to like catch moths or something like what's to it catch moths <laughs> i should have gone with moths as well i really hate moths imagine <laughs> i'd just be like lock them all in a room and let them die um i've just googled it okay this is not 
This is not an answer I was anticipating here, Dan. Mm. It is a common belief that all small dogs were originally bred for hunting rodents. However, though rodent hunting may have been a natural instinct of chihuahuas, that wasn't their primary job. Chihuahuas were used for food as well as companionship. They were not hunters, but rather the hunted. Right, okay, food and companionship, because they don't often go together. It's not really the best mix, notoriously. Oh, well, you've cheered me up. Okay, (laughs) into the sandwich. (laughs) I really do hate you and it's fine to kill you because you are bred for food. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, that says a lot. They're, they're so useless and not cute. Yeah. And they were like, ah, of all the dogs, we will eat you. There's just Labradors running around camp like, I'm fine because I'm cute. Like, <laughs> I nearly went for pugs as well, but I feel more sad for pugs than angry. Yeah, I get really annoyed about all those kind of, just all these dogs that are just so genetically misshapen that you can just hear them so like, wheezing along the road behind you and you're in the park you know what the fuck is that oh yeah. right oh god and you did this on purpose yeah and you knew they would wheeze like this and you were fine with that and you chose to buy this from a puppy farm and you know keep make this keep going like, i remember there was like a puppy farm situation in, in gibraltar um when we were out there and it was all baby pugs and it was like this is horrible like you've already over overbred them and now oh it's just grim it's like, sorry, this dog I got off you is making a weird breathing sound. Like it's like it's struggling. Did I step so, on it? So yeah, don't worry, mate. They all do that. Oh, right. Well, in that case, it's fine. <laughs> do I take the receipt or do I just acknowledge defective from start? So they all have breathing trouble. Fine then. Fine. That's absolutely fine. And they're bred to have breathing difficulties. Okay, no problem then. They Thanks. Have okay. So much wrong. Like they're more likely to get like cancer. They're more likely to get lung problems. Like mm. they are the most broken animals. Yeah, a friend of mine actually had uh, a pair of chihuahuas, right? A pair, wow, but they bold. were, but they were like, they weren't what you think. They were like bigger. They were like the size of a sort of Jack Russell or something. Was it like a Pomeranian? No, it was an actual chihuahua. But she okay. said that's like what they're supposed to be like. The original breed oh. are like, but you get miniature ones are the ones everyone thinks of. And these were like, yeah, they were the size of like a terrier or something. Okay, but still quite, you know, petite, but not like handbag size, right? Yeah. And she was saying that apparently they're bred to such an extent now that uh, it's impossible for them to give birth naturally. Like, they have to have caesareans. Oh. I saw one, like, is it a basset hound where they're, like, low to the ground and really long ears? Yeah. I saw one that had ears so long it kept stepping on them. It's like, (laughs) you've bred it. Like, why have you bred it like this? Like, it's stepping on its own body parts. (laughs) I always have this thing with, with, with... Though with basset hounds and with dachshunds, all of those, I just, if I ever need cheering up, and this is me, but it is funny, just imagine them trying to get over a speed bump. Yeah. Just little, just, that... just... <laughs> because they're, they're just broken and it's not their fault. And I feel very sorry for them. And I'm sorry they have a hard life. They don't mean to be dicks. No. We're the dicks, but they are a perfect embodiment of how much we are dicks and how we should find better uses for our time. Yeah, you just feel sorry for it all the time. This tiny little chihuahua just scrabbling around, getting stuck in the sand. Like, can't do anything. And their legs are so small. It's like you're not even stuck in it because you're basically just horizontal on it. You just have no power anywhere they're just they're just pathetic and they make me sad i agree i agree and i think uh i mean you've really aced it today i mean it's a really good <laughs> final animal a uh, final uh submission to the island to make your place a real hellhole so um, thanks dan i, I appreciate done a really it good job. you know i normally have low blood pressure that is not the issue today apparently i've raised <laughs> it up i can feel the agitation i'm sorry i'm sorry but think of it as like a, a weird cleanse we'll go with that
Yeah, go and have a cup of tea and a lie down and, and hopefully it'll pass. And... I'm going to go put the Greatest Showman soundtrack on a screen. Yeah, I was going to say, go watch that music <laughs> video. <laughs> and uh, but Sarah, where can people uh, see more of you? What are you up to at the minute? So I present on Radio X every weekend. So you can always listen to that on the Global Player, which is very fun. All the Indian rock and roll and... Guess what? A lot of shit chat from me, which you'd never have guessed if you've managed to get all the way through. Uh, and if you yeah, follow me on socials at Sarah Gozzo, I do lots of writing for places. So more shit chat. It's, it's pretty pervasive, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah, thank you again for coming on today. It's been a real pleasure. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you, Dan. I'm going to go punch a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That was Sarah Gosling there. And uh, obviously, I don't need to tell you that because if you've reached this part in the podcast, that much should have been perfectly clear. What I would like to say, though, is that uh, we would love your submissions for compact dicks. That's uh, where you can tell us who and what annoys the hell out of you and what you would hate to be stuck on an island with. And uh, if you do that, we can read them out on our show, Compact Dicks. So get in touch with us. Go to dickspod.com slash contact and send us an email, or you can just get in touch on Twitter or Instagram at dickspod. Thanks to all of you who have downloaded and listened to this. If you get a chance to give us a rating and a review, that would be very much appreciated. And subscribe, so then you won't miss any of this wonderful content. If you can't do any of these things, then just tell a friend. We always like a bit of word of mouth marketing. And that's it, really. Let me let me tell you a bit more about this podcast. This podcast was a sync clap production. It was dreamt up and produced by James Deacon. It was produced and presented by me, Dan Benedictus. Today, it was expertly edited by the wonderful Chris Attaway. So big thanks to him. And additional support, as ever, comes from John Deacon. That's it for now. We'll be back very soon with some more Desert Island Dicks related content. So until then, thanks again for downloading it and we'll be back soon. Bye.